Hello, you're listening to Insurance Covered, the podcast that covers anything and everything to do with insurance. Coming up in this episode. I've, I've lived in now Kenya, Tanzania, Rwanda, in East Africa for more than I've lived in Holland, where I'm originally from. And this is really home. And where you're home, you want to build and you want to build companies and systems that give dignity to people. I think that there's a there's a very strong element of dignity that you bring in people's lives through insurance. My name is Peter Mansfield. I'm a partner of the law firm RPC, and in each episode I'm joined by a guest and we discuss an aspect of the wonderful world of insurance. And this week we have Rose Gosling out and we will be discussing microinsurance. Rose worked for a couple of years at the Ministry of Agriculture in Rwanda, followed by six years at the Syngenta Foundation for Sustainable Agriculture in Kenya. In 2015, she co-founded Pula, a micro-insurance company based in Nairobi. Pula recently won the InsureTech Company of the Year Award at the African Insurance Awards, so congratulations about that. Uh, And Rose is our first guest to have delivered a TED Talk, which she did in 2014 on the topic of micro-insurance, which is what we're going to discuss today. So, Rose, welcome to the podcast. Nice to meet you all, and thanks for having me. Uh, Your academic background was in uh, economics, um, and your first job was a job in economics, developing projects in irrigation and such like. So uh, so how did you end up being drawn into the world of insurance? Um, well, as I said, my first job was for Ministry of Agriculture. I remember um, a couple of, you know, i say a year or so in that job. And my boss, who was the, first was a permanent secretary, was promoted to become the new minister of agriculture. I remember she called me in the middle of the night at like 9 p.m. and said, Rose, I'm the new minister of agriculture. She was so excited. Um, And then, you know, a couple of weeks into like into her promotion, she really launched a kind of what, you know, what we would now recognize a kind of a green revolution initiative, you know, importing fertilizer, you know, like crops will grow and, you know, people will be able to feed themselves. Now, as, as mentioned, I was in charge of like more of those things like budgets in the ministry. And, and so all of a sudden we were spending all this money on seed and fertilizer. And the International Monetary Fund actually asked us to come and explain this new budget and this particularly this new budget line that was huge. And, you know, I, we came into that meeting and I remember this lady from the International Monetary Fund asking my boss, Minister, it's great that you want to be able to, you know, that Rwandan farmers can feed themselves, but what if it doesn't rain? And like, I don't know if you know this, but like Rwanda has probably been one of the highest representations of women in parliament. I think it's more than 50%. You know, women in Rwanda are empowered. And she answered back to this lady from the International Monetary Fund without blinking, I am going to pray for rain. It totally ended the discussion. There was no way that the IMF lady could respond to that. Um, and so, like, you know, we went back. To, I remember sitting in the car on the way back to the ministry, and my boss, the minister, she turns around and says to me, Rose, do you think we could buy insurance? Because, of course, you know, she also knew that if it didn't rain, that her investment in seed and fertilizer would literally dry up. And so that's honestly how I started working on insurance. And the rest is history. Um, it's, it's been insurance ever since then. Pretty much, yeah. Now, let's start at the beginning. Um, as I understand it, micro-insurance is simply insurance. 
but on a very small scale. So the premiums are very small and the limits of indemnity are also very small. Is, is, is that a fair analysis? And, and, and what type of microinsurance is it that Pula sells? We at uh, Pula and I have mainly worked in agricultural microinsurance. And I, I, used to, I used to find it really useful to think about this as compared to what you know, normal insurance for farmers would look like. You know, if you're a farmer in the UK or in the US, you know, um, a loss assessor or, or, or basically your insurance agent will come and visit you at this at the start of the season. And then, you know, like halfway through the season, you might come again to see how things are doing. And if something goes wrong, you know, the farmer will call up and say, hey, I had this incident of hail on my farm or actually we had this drought. Um, come and assess the damages. Now, that that kind of process works in the U.S., in Europe, and you know, because you know, the average premium that you will get from a farm, you know, will be probably be a couple of thousand dollars, probably tens of thousands of dollars, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars, if you're looking at you know, large-scale farming operations. So, you know, visiting those farms makes sense. Assessing those damages individually makes sense. Farms that we deal with, you know, those kind of micro-insurance, like the farm size on average that we deal with is maybe half an acre. That's kind of a quarter of a hectare, you know. Our average premium, I think this last year was $8. You know, it, it's, you can't even visit somebody. If you visit them, that would be the premiums gone. So you have to think about, you have to like microinsurance in, in this case for agriculture is really about thinking outside of the box, thinking about different types of products. Exactly. And, and how do you go about that? For us in agriculture insurance, it means index-based insurance which you know is, is what we or people also often refer to as parametric insurance so instead of visiting individual farms we use a independent indicator our the indicator that would work best for us is yield measurements done in the area we call it yield index insurance and it, it really means that instead of visiting every individual farm we do sampling we use technology to actually go and measure the harvests or measure or do the harvest alongside the farmers. And, you know, like because it's all digitized, we can actually see what these guys are doing in the field and the data comes in real time. And based on that, we can determine if a particular area had a flood or if a particular area did quite well. If they had a flood, there's a payout in that location. If it did quite well, then nobody in that area gets paid. And that works quite well for agriculture because the biggest risks to agriculture often what we'd call systemic risks and are not necessarily indemnity based, which is which require like your individual visits, but really kind of like, you know, what happened in that area, big floods, big droughts, that kind of stuff. Does that help? Uh, you know, that really helps. Yeah, no, that really helps. But but let's unpack it a little. Um, as I understand it, when you're working out the, the area yield, you effectively, you break down a country uh, into specific areas, and then you get more and more data over the years for each of those areas as to, I don't know, productivity, rainfall, average crop weight, uh, and then you base the insurance. The, the the insurance is based on all that information. So, so if a farmer has less than expected productivity, the insurance automatically kicks in at that stage. Is is that basically it? Yeah, I'd say it's it's effectively like step one is. We will use satellite data, remote sensing, machine learning tools to create, recreate a new map of the country. That map, basically, you have like what we call agroecological zones. We will deploy, like we have a list of farmers that were insured. 
we will randomly sample from that list per agroecological zone, we will randomly sample farmers, and then we will deploy agents to go and harvest on those sampled farmers' fields. If the yield of all the farmers in that area was below historical benchmark, everybody gets paid. If the yield was above a historical benchmark, nobody gets paid. And you use satellite data as well, don't you? So you can you can see when you can tell whether a specific area has had rain or not. Yes, we can. We can. We find it. We we use it really very much as a kind of a cross check. Um, the the main like the primary source of settlement is these field measurements that's done. Um, the secondary kind of cross check to make sure that everything was well is kind of satellite data. Like this is pretty unique for us because I think a lot of organizations actually do it the other way around. They will use satellite data and because it's widely available and, and truly so, and it's very cheap. And people putting people on the ground is very fairly expensive. But in our experience, those people are actually and, and are actually incredibly powerful because insurance, as you well know, is all about trust. And what we've learned is like our field teams, you know, we don't, it's not like we hire and deploy field teams from the areas where the farmers are insured. So if you're a farmer in Kaduna in northern Nigeria, most likely your harvest will be done by what could be one of your cousins or nephews, you know, from that area, a young guy with a smartphone who's following our procedures and protocols and harvesting on your farm. And there's something incredibly powerful about somebody from your area who did the harvest on your area. You know, it's not only does it give like rural employment, but it also means that you know the person who or somehow, you know, that you are related to or you might know of him. And we found that that really builds a lot of trust and, and the credibility in the system. So we've kind of turned that to like one side up or upside down in terms of that we will use the satellite data to cross check whether, you know, it wasn't complete nonsense. But we do use these and deploy these digital agents to make sure that there's really kind of trust and belief in the system from like a customer perspective. We'll come on to trust again in a moment, but but before we leave the issue of technology, um, I mean, from what you're saying, it, it feels to me as though micro insurance heavily relies on technology in order to in order to work. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. You couldn't have done this without technology. There's no question. Technology and data drive what we do. So, I mean, perhaps an analogy, and perhaps not a very good analogy, but an analogy is is that sometimes it's easier to write a long email than, than a short email, and because it feels it's, it's going to be much harder to do micro insurance profitably than it is to do bigger insurance profitably. Yeah, that's definitely. I would also say that that's why your traditional insurers have struggled, and that's why I think there's to some extent there's been a space for kind of insure techs like us to kind of look at, you know, there's a gap here in the market. It's not very easily served. It's a complicated problem. And until it becomes a simple problem and it is solved, you know, you, yeah, that's, it's, that's the, that's the time where you have like startups playing a role, I would say. Yeah. Um, you talked about trust earlier on and um, how do you sell, the, how do you persuade the farmers to buy insurance? Cause I imagine, you know, the hard-earned money that they are slightly reluctant to purchase insurance with it. So, so how how do you sell the insurance to the farmers? You know, I, I often like I forget about that we do agriculture insurance. I, I often kind of turn this question on on its head because I I think that selling insurance is difficult to full stop because insurance is is such a different value proposition. It is. Everything is about behavioral economics in insurance. It, it's kind of best explain this problem by, you know, explain people like microcredit. 
So like with microcredit, you know, like this, there was this product that was pioneered by Muhammad Yunus who won the Nobel Peace Prize in like, I would say like 15, 20 years ago. And he was really pioneering the idea of giving small loans to often like groups of women. And, you know, and this grew tremendously. And why did this grow? Because there was a very straightforward value proposition to these women. They would organize themselves in groups. And if they were well organized in groups, a bank would give them money. There's an immediate value proposition. You know, you so you do that because there's immediately, you know, with that money, you can pay school fees. You know, you can buy lots of different things. Now, if you think about insurance, the value proposition is very different. You are now telling people, Give me money first, and then if something goes wrong, you have to trust me that I will pay you. And this is not different from whether it's health insurance, agriculture insurance, life insurance. It, it's that proposition is constant. And so I would say that like people have really, and organizations have really struggled to sell micro insurance and it, or any kind of insurance, to be honest. Like most of my personal insurance is mandatory or mandated by government. You know, I have a car that car is insured because the government tells me to think about it. You know, I remember that I, I have one daughter. She's seven years old. When she was born, I bought life insurance. Why? Because I knew that, you know, like if, if something would happen to me, I would want her to be taken care of, but it, it merited an event that was big enough as my daughter being born for me to buy my first voluntary piece of insurance. And I sell insurance for a living, <laughs> you know, for the last 15, 16 years. So imagine that, right? Um, I always think that our customers are incredibly smart and they're not very different from you or me. And so they look at this and like, you know, why would I spend money on this one? Why would I trust insurance companies? And they'll think I've managed all these years. Why would I spend money now? If you think about what we do and that this microinsurance is very tech heavy and that it's like we often refer to it as the rocket science part of our business. I actually think that how to sell insurance is the real big challenge. Um, and so it, it's really, you know, the question is, how do you do that? Like we've tried a number of different pieces. We've marketed directly. You know, you have you have really low renewal rates. You have very high marketing costs. We work with mobile operators, seed and fertilizer companies, and, and like you know, I'll tell you, like bluntly speaking, what we ended up with is organizations that provide credit to farmers and that mandate you to you know buy insurance because you have a loan with them. Whether that is a mobile operator, a bank, an agri-tech company, as they're called these days, you know, there's many forms of this. Um, okay, so, so that's clever. You're selling the insurance through the credit providers or through fertilizer providers or, or seed providers. They, in effect, as I understand it, mandate or oblige their client, the farmer, to purchase the insurance. Okay, I see that. It could also be a government who is buying seed and fertilizer and making huge investments. And, you know, remember that my minister of agriculture who was worried that her investment would dry up, literally when it would be dry. So she, you know, those kind of people become, effectively have become our customers as a business as Pula. You know, like we've, and we've done really well with that. I initially, I thought that was a small market, but, you know, like, you know, the insurance market as an industry globally is a big market. Why? Because, you know, this problem that I that I've just described is not a problem that is new and and so often, you know, insurance is mandated in lots of different ways and functions, and the market for that is pretty huge. 
Like we've so far last year, we insured 1.7 million farmers. Um, our premium volume trip like grew by, I just did the numbers, it was like grew by 180%. Um, so we certainly see that this market is growing. There, there's a huge market for it. Um, it's definitely a market that you have to build one country and one step and brick at a time. Like often when we enter into a new market, we'll be the first people who've ever done agriculture insurance there. And people are like, I really don't think this will work. Insurance companies will say, yeah, this is going to be too expensive. Uh, but you you can build it and it's, it's really kind of an investment. And like I would say the, the, the organizations, the venture capital funds, investors that back us are really kind of putting their money in terms of like kind of long-term investment and saying, hey, you are going to be the right partner to actually grow this out over time. Sorry, I don't, I'm not good at short answers. <laughs> that's, that's absolutely fine. And does the fact that farmers have micro-insurance change their behavior in any way? So do, do they, for example, use a different type of seed or are they encouraged to experiment a bit more because they actually know that they've got the, the, the backing of insurers? In my experience, what happens is that it's a part of an already like provided service. So it's a loan, it's a fertilizer seed or subsidy program. So just by nature of that, what happens is that the behavior is already changed, right? You're accessing a loan. The loan is for improved seed and fertilizer. Your yield is already going to be higher because of that. You're accessing some government seed fertilizer subsidy scheme. That means you're no longer using your kept home seed. You're, you know, you're, you're accessing an investment. So you definitely see behavioral change there. Like, does that mean that it is only because of insurance? I wouldn't say it that way. I'd put it as it is enabled by the insurance. The question is, would they still use that seed or that fertilizer? Would they still get access to that credit if insurance wasn't there? Often when we see credit, you know, you see credit organizations that provide credit and they, you know, if the season was good, yes, the following season, there'll still be credit. If the season was bad, then the following season, the credit kind of bottoms out. With governments, it's really kind of a mindset change in terms of like, do how do I build in sustainability of these kind of investments that we're making? And that's kind of like one of the efforts that we do as a business. And we've talked about selling insurance, but, but how does the claim side of insurance work? So the farmers don't make claims. The claims are automatically calculated. It doesn't matter if you had a particular loss, like we will send people out to the field and there's a random sample. So you may not even be visited, but we assume that you had that loss. And that what then will happen is that often, like if you are a, let's say you came under a credit program, you had a loan that was still outstanding, it will be automatically written off. So for example, we just process claims for, like six, seven million dollars across a huge portfolio in Nigeria. Like it's it's literally like we generate a list. They haven't had to put in a claim with us. It's also the speed of it is is much faster than what happened before because you have don't have to do all those individual claims. It just happens as a bulk transfer. And all of a sudden, like all those customers are like, okay, these, 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 these are all eligible because they're all in that area. And we all know that they had a loss. Wow. So as you, as you said right at the outset, it, it's parametric insurance. As soon as, the tr- as soon as the trigger happens, the payment is made. Yeah, exactly. So thereby enabling, you know, so that, they, that the farmers get their money quickly. Yeah, exactly. Like in Nigeria, like the, what we had this year, so we had a large flood and drought instance and happened in about August, September, and these farmers needed to replant now. So we've been under intense pressure from the bank 
to make sure that this claim is processed so that indeed they, their loans can be written off and they can start again. And you mentioned that you had uh, 1.7 million policies last year. Um, how, many, uh, how many countries are, are you located in at the moment? So we, we currently operate, I would say, our, like the core of our operations are in, I would say, like a handful of countries, about four or five countries. And then like we have other products that are or like, like smaller interventions, I would say, like our total intervention scope of last year was about 11 countries. I think we've worked in about 13. I think this year we'll, it'll grow in a number of countries again. And is that all in Africa or, or are you looking to expand beyond Africa? Yeah, definitely. Like we just raised a series A and as part of the series A, we're definitely, we've hired our first people looking at the Latin American and Asian markets. So we're definitely looking at those kind of expanded markets. And do you work alongside, well, obviously you work alongside all the various kinds of credit agencies and, and governments or, or whatever that you've already mentioned. Um, presumably you, you're backed by big insurers. Absolutely. Absolutely. So like, so we don't take on any risk. The key thing that we, when we started working with us, my co-founder is actuary Thomas and Joe's Kenyan. Um, and he, you know, he was working in an insurance company. And what we found is that there was enough insurance company going to take on this risk, but there weren't enough kind of, you know, like specialized actuaries who could understand the risk, you know, and who could like structure the data in a way that insurance companies would understand it. There weren't enough companies that were doing like these field assessments so that you could insure large groups of people and get claims paid out on time. So I would say like as a business, we think we're not filling the gap that there's no insurance risk carriers because there are like we work with 40 insurers across the African continent. We work with, I think, eight reinsurance companies globally. Those organizations carry the risk. What we enable is the service that actually enables those products to be executed. That's kind of what we do. Brilliant. And uh, I want to discuss microinsurance now in a slightly broader context. Um, why, why do you believe it's so vital? You know, uh, I grew up in I grew up in Tanzania in like East Africa, and like I would say, like I like my grandparents were missionaries. My I grew up on a, on a my dad is a uh, that was a doctor. I grew up in a hospital in like rural Tanzania. And what I found is that, you know, like, like doctors, is, it's very much kind of, it's a public service and it's, it's kind of difficult to pay for health care, you know, like, you know, it's, it's, it's very controversial to put like a money stamp to that, which often means that these kind of services are kind of free. Um, but it, it's very, you know, like I, I've always found that handouts are very problematic. And so growing up, I was very acutely aware that there was a lot of like kind of development aid happening. We joke that white people often come to Africa as a missionary, a mercenary, or a misfit. And <laughs> yeah, and I was always so we always joke internally that I have pretty much all those, like I have come from generations of missionaries. And you know, like if you do agriculture insurance, you're definitely a bit of a misfit. And I run a for-profit. So like, you know, arguably I'm probably also a bit of a mercenary. But I think you need those. I, I really feel that as we, you know, like I've, I've lived in now Kenya, Tanzania, Rwanda, in East Africa for more than I've lived in Holland where I'm originally from. And this is really home. And where you're home, you want to build and you want to build companies and systems that give dignity to people. And, and so I really, you know, as you like, 
like Pula is the company I run is a for-profit. Why? Because I, I believe that through profits, you create sustainability. Through insurance products, you if something wrong happens, you don't have to beg. You have taken care of yourself. I think that there's a there's a very strong element of dignity that you bring in people's lives through insurance because of that. Absolutely. And I mean, that sort of answers my next question as well, which was, which is about your own personal motivation for it, because you mentioned that Pula is, is a, a for profit organization. But I have sensed through the videos I've seen of you and the stuff I've read, that, that profit isn't isn't the primary motivation here, that, that, that there's something else which is driving you. Often say that I, I think it's also so important that you, as a company, make money. Absolutely, no, no I'm, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not saying otherwise. But um, you know, a, a profit is clearly important. Um, otherwise, there is no sustainability. Exactly. Okay, I'm, I'm going to use one quote which you kind of use in one of your videos, which is that you say that, that you, you are proud to say that you sell insurance. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I think insurance is is a very is a very useful tool. It's a very complex tool, but it's a very useful tool. Um, so, I, yeah, I think, but that is, you know, I don't think that's your typical kind of do-gooder perspective. I think it's a, it's a kind of very, uh, like, evolved way of how, you know, you develop as a nation, as a country, as a society. And um, I'm trying to think if I know when the ins- first insurance, I'm a big fan of history kind of like when the first insurance what the first insurance policy well, was I, I can tell you that the, that the first policy of which we are aware of modern insurance policy is 1343 or five and what or was like it that. for uh it was for uh, a, a a transport of wool from pisa to sicily i think so goods in transit goods in transit marine marine it was a marine policy yeah but uh, yeah and for most most of insurance's history has been marine and has only developed kind of over the last yeah kind of 150 years really to cover everything big now. catastrophic losses and huge risk exactly 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 so it, it, for a long long time it, it was a luxury product whereas now it's become an essential product I, you know that's interesting that you say that like i think actually my co-founder thomas says that in africa insurance is considered a luxury product you know africa like you you ask people you have insurance they say no insurance is for rich people with cars yeah you know because that's the only insurance that they've ever heard of you know car insurance because it's, it's, that's the one that they've heard of they've not heard of any type of other insurance and it's a yeah i know I, i've i've forgotten your trail where you were trying to get me on with this question i i so have i <laughs> I've, got, I've got no idea i think we went off on a little cul-de-sac which is absolutely fine okay uh, and, and what plans do you have for pula and and for yourself for the future I think, you know, like I could have never imagined, you know, how many people we would have developed insurance products for. Um, and, and so I think we've, we've come quite far on that. I, I think it's, you know, where I, my co-founder is, is kind of more the strategic visionary here. He says, you know, he has the big vision pieces. I always, I joke that I could, if I could look about three months ahead, wow, that's, that's already far. I'm kind of like a three days to three weeks ahead person. So I know, like I, you, to to kind of properly dodge your answer, I really kind of I look at it a couple of steps at a time and see what we need to get done to reach, you know, the next couple of million farmers insured. You know, like what are the different pieces that as an organization we need to build, you know, so that you know we can serve more people. 
I, as I said, I never thought about that we would reach a million farmers. I remember, you know, thinking start if we'd reach twenty five thousand farmers, that'd be a huge amount. And so I've started to think about this differently. In terms of as an organization with Pula, what I really think our ambition should be is that every single farmer that we work with gets this fantastic level of service and and thinks that you know that they were really served in a way that works really well for them and it satisfies their needs that they're you know just because you serve a couple of million farmers doesn't mean it should take longer and um that's and obviously you're only scratching the surface of the, the of you know if to call it a market it sounds a bit kind of brutal but you know 1.7 million farmers is is a huge number of farmers but there are tens of millions of farmers across Africa, Latin America, Asia, all of whom at the moment are farming at risk without without any level of protection. Sure. And, and it's definitely our ambition to serve many of them. But yeah, one at a time. <laughs> one, at a, one at a time. Yeah. And uh, my, my final question, uh, which is the question I ask everyone, is, you know, if a young person came to you, an 18 year old or whatever, who was was interested in insurance and said, you know, I want to make a difference. I want to make a difference in the world. Well, what bit of advice would you would you give them? What, what have you learned over your decade or so of being involved in insurance? I would say, yeah, if you want to get involved in insurance, you really have to understand about the motivation that lies and the behavioral parts, economics and, and psychology that come for insurance. And so you know, understanding that, how people think that, that that logical piece from like, hey, you're going to pay me now and I'm going to promise you something later. Understand that really well and keep that in mind at every single step of the way, because that's core to being successful in insurance. Brilliant. Rose, thank you so much for your time. And, uh, and I really appreciate that. Thank you so much. Thanks. Thanks so much, guys. Thank you so much for listening to Insurance Covered. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe. And please rate, review and share it. It really does help. Please also listen to another of our podcasts, Taxing Matters, which is hosted by my brilliant colleague, Alice Kemp. Insurance Covered is an RPC production made possible by Joe Burgess and Mary Mitchell. If you want to be a guest on Insurance Covered, please email me at peter.mansfield at rpc.co.uk. Thank you and I hope you have a lovely day.